Manu Meal is the CEO of Bridge USA, a nonprofit organization that creates spaces on high school and college campuses where students can have open discussions about political issues. He joined host Andrew Kaufman in the Bush Institute's Chris Walsh in April to discuss Bridge USA's mission, how to disagree, and the importance of diversity of thought and opinion. My story would not have been possible without a society that was fundamentally pluralistic. Pluralism created the condition for me to not only exist, but to understand, learn, um, to be a part of this melting pot that helped me just be a better person. Listen as Manu discusses how to build bridges with people of differing viewpoints and provides a sneak peek of his podcast, The Hopeful Majority, which has launched since the recording of this episode. This is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Presidential Center. Our guest today on The Strategist is Manu Meal, the CEO of Bridge USA, which he's going to tell us more about here in a moment. He is in Dallas for the day. We're really glad that you're spending a few minutes with us here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Chris. Well, this is all Chris's idea. Chris has been talking about having you on for, for quite a while because you're just right up the alley of what he's into here with pluralism, which we'll dive into. But Chris Walsh, our Director of Freedom and Democracy at the Bush Institute. Chris, one of my favorites to have at my side. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, Andrew. Likewise. And I will say... That I, as you said, I really look forward to this one, and I feel like Caesar's. There's this story where Julius Caesar weeps because he thinks about Alexander the Great and that he had conquered the world by the time that Caesar was 33. Manu is, is, our, is our Alexander the Great. He has done so much, and I've done so little, so I look forward to learning a lot. Wow. You are the first guest we've had on compared to Alexander the Great, I must say. He does not do this for everyone. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. That's a lot of expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Just managing them. That's all. It's life is all about managing expectations. So, so you know, Chris is here, or Chris is excited that you're here because of this concept of pluralism. So, before we talk specifically about Bridge USA, what tell us where your where your head is at? Like, I know we at the Bush Institute believe that you know we no one is going to agree on everything, um, and that's okay, and that's a good thing. We want to find things that we do agree on and get things done in that regard. Where where do you come from in this world of disagreement that we're in? So first of all, thanks, Chris, for having me. Thanks, thanks, Andrew. I should note that Andrew said only Chris is excited to have me, which which is a little problematic, but that's all right. Um, I, I don't get excited for much. Okay, know? okay, good. Good I'm, to know. I, I'm, I tried to say even keel. But I, you know, I'm grateful to be here, especially because it makes me think about the fact that if you had asked me when I was a middle schooler, a high schooler, and I was like, you know, nerding out in politics that, you know, one day I would be at the Bush Institute recording a podcast conversation. Um, it would be very shocking to me. And and the reason why it would be shocking to me is not necessarily because it's, it's you know, something that uh, I want to brag about. Really what it is, is it's the story of America. I mean, I, uh, my parents came to the U.S. in 98. I was born in central New Jersey, December of 98. Then I went, lived in India for five years on and off with my grandparents, without my parents. Uh, then I moved here, came back, moved around two years, all, every two years, moved around all over the place. Um, finally went to school out west. Uh, you know, somebody like me that was a pre-med student that is now talking about politics and one of the centers that is responsible for a lot of amazing work and also a lot of critical work uh, is just fascinating. And so when I think about disagreement, when I think about the American experiment, I just think that the fact that we live in a society that allows progression like that is amazing. And so I'm just humbled to be here. And that's where my mind is at, honestly. 
I want to get back to disagreement at some point, but not yet, because as Andrew said, we're, we've been talking a lot about pluralism. I think, you know, I know, I know we have a family rated podcast, but I, I think here at the Bush Center, we're, we're starting an effort right now to make pluralism sexy again. How do you, how do you get people excited about this term that it seems a lot of people either don't know about, they have a neutral or negative view of it. And it's so crucial in my mind to the the endurance of our democracy. If we can't all agree that we can have different opinions and different views and beliefs and backgrounds, then our democratic values mean nothing because freedom of expression means nothing without any sort of commitment to different viewpoints, freedom, uh, freedom of worship, freedom of association. All that stuff means nothing if we can't agree that pluralism is a system for managing our differences. And I know a lot of the work that your organization, Bridge USA, does, I think, I think relates to that, that idea, even if you don't call it pluralism uh, directly. But if I can ask you point blank, what, what is pluralism to you? How would you define pluralism? So this is not the state escape the question, but I think the implicit piece there is what you said, which is how do you make something like pluralism sexy? And then I'll get to what is pluralism. To me, when we think about making something interesting or exciting, I immediately ask the question, why? Why pluralism? Why democracy? It's the question that a lot of people ask these days. And the reason why I mentioned that story in the beginning was because for me, my story would not have been possible without a society that was fundamentally pluralistic. Pluralism created the condition for me to not only exist, but to understand, learn, um, to be a part of this melting pot that helped me just be a better person. And so when we couch things like that, that's interesting. You know, when we think about my generation, uh, it's a generation that's basically only seen tumult and discord. The four major events that define somebody's uh, life that is about 23, 24, which is how old I am, is I was born around 9-11. I went to school during the Great Recession. I uh, uh, went to high school during the 2016 election and then graduated into 2020. Not a great sample size. And so when we think about pluralism, forget all that. To me, what pluralism fundamentally means is it is about creating a society where all of us can exist in a place where we feel valued, where we feel understood, where you and I have a, have a, have a, lottery ticket to be able to be better. Um, there's, of course, an academic definition of pluralism, but when it comes to the work at Bridge USA, it's just about how do you equip people to be able to handle disagreement, to handle people that are different than themselves. The last thing I'll just say on this point, Chris, is the reason why I think getting this right, getting the question of pluralism right, is because by 2045, the United States is going to be the most diverse democracy in the history of societies. The reason why that's unique and interesting is because it's not normal for a society this different to be stable, effective, successful, productive. So if we can get this right, that is so profoundly impactful. And so that's what motivates me. And so that's what makes pluralism exciting is, is why does it matter? So I think that's a good segue into, we've talked, we've mentioned it a couple of times, Bridge USA. Like, what is it? How did you have the idea? And what are you hoping to accomplish with it? When I started Bridge USA with some amazing friends, uh, Andrew, I had no interest in politics. I was a pre-med student. I basically showed up to UC Berkeley freshman year of 2017. Um, it was February. And I distinctly remember there were some protests in the distance. I was walking back from a math seminar. And <laughs> I walked by and there's like some window smashed and there's some noises in the distance or some helicopters flying overhead. I was like, Oh, it's just, you know, another protest. You know, we, at Berkeley, we protest everything. We have a great relationship with protest, uh, right and left. Everybody likes to get active. Um, turns out that the speaker that day, Miley Yiannopoulos had triggered 
the largest free speech protest in Berkeley's history since the 60s. Uh, cost the university $5 million in damages. The next day, uh, me and some random people got together and were like, hey, look, you know, the campus community is hurting. Uh, there's people that invited Milo. There's people that didn't invite Milo. There's people that protested the thing. Antifa, everybody. Let's just get everybody in a room. I did not know anything about politics, so no one told me how daunting of a task that would be. Right. Were a, you in student leadership when you had that thought? No, or you no. Just, I, was, I was literally just a random dude. Okay. Yeah, just a random guy. That's why I said before this podcast, like, I'm not the expert. Right. Just a dude, you know, get people to talk to each other. And so uh, what made that so fascinating was that space, people showed up, and initially, I remember the, the story very distinctly, the student showed up, and he was... He was like, I'm going to protest this thing. I was like, well, you're telling me now. Where's the sign? He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to start protesting soon. I'm like, okay, good. By the end of this discussion, he was like, not only was this a fascinating dialogue, but I actually became a better advocate for my arguments. And I was like, that's it. Because the next day we held another discussion. More people showed up. So we called it Bridge Berkeley. We had these amazing friends at Notre Dame at Colorado Boulder that built Bridge CU, Bridge ND, linked up, created this thing called Bridge USA. All of that to be said that now we're the largest and fastest growing student movement trying to change how we talk politics, ending polarization, and specifically helping young people not compromise, uh, but be better uh, debaters, dialoguers, help young people be better agents in society. That's it. Well, I think the natural follow-up question there is, with a name like Bridge USA, I mean, it, it implies you're unifying people, you're bringing right. people together, which is great. And I ask this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but then is it okay to disagree with one another? And if so, how do we disagree better? Well, this goes to your question, Chris, about pluralism. I think the reason why pluralism is important is because if you live in a truly pluralistic society, you can disagree and still have a society at the end of it. Um, Fundamentally, I think unity is the wrong endpoint for any project because it's like the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like society has literally never been unified. That's what makes it society. <laughs> so that's what you wouldn't have to worry about pluralism if everybody thought the same. Um and so harnessing that the way that we get people to disagree, the way that we get people to engage is to help them see the value in that disagreement. If I pulled somebody off the street right now, right? I literally do this all the time. It's very weird, but it helps me think about this work. People say, you know, yeah, it's very polarized, very tribal, it's very divisive. I kind of don't like it. I, I just want to sit back home. I'm like, do you, do you think we should solve this problem? He's like, yes. Like, what do you think we should do about it? We should talk to each other. Do you want to do that? No. Uh, <laughs> again, because it goes to your point that this stuff sounds great, but it's difficult. And so for me, I put all this aside and try to think about why I got involved and what is the value? Like, why is disagreement important in society? And the answer I come to is disagreement is the engine for democracy. Disagreement helps us get better ideas. Not only does it help us get better ideas, but it helps us abandon bad ones. So that's how I think about disagreement. Yeah, because we're not, it's, we've gone to a place and you know, some people blame cable news, some people blame social media. But at the end of the day, so so often we see that the person that disagrees with us is our enemy as opposed to someone that just has a different idea of, of how to move forward. And so I think one of the things that's interesting is that you're doing this movement with, with young people. These are, these are college students. As you talk to college students on a day in and day out basis, like how much, how much traction are you getting toward this, toward this movement, given that these are a lot of people that are on social media that they're, and, and what are you, what are you seeing? Is this, I'm, I'm hopeful that you have hope. Because if you don't, then I'm, I'm going to be really sad. But I'd love to hear, hear you say it. Um, 
I, I'm definitely not the guy that walks around with the bag of hope doling out hope because I feel like it's it's like motivation. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not feeling hopeful, there's no way I can give you hope. All I can give you is some stories and and let you <laughs> decide for yourself. I love, I love a good story. I'm, I'm honest. Uh, I will say it's college and high school students now. Okay. And the reason for high school students is because only 49% of my generation is actually going to graduate from college. Part of the reason why we've seen so much discord in our democracy over the last 15 years is because we only focus, I think, on people... Uh, that have college degrees, that have mm-hmm. uh, that are graduating, that are in our institutions, and Great I think point. it results in what we call populism, which I think is the antithesis to pluralism. Um, and so, uh, Emily Green, who helps lead a lot of our high school work, as we've sort of seen a lot of this work scale up, uh, fundamentally, the reason why I always get excited about where we are right now is because whenever I meet people, we just recently had a partner organization conduct this study as well. Eighty-seven percent of Americans. Uh, want us to be able to disagree productively. Uh, uh, 75% want us to live in a society where we can all listen to each other. I think fundamentally the problem that we face is not a problem of the masses polarizing. I think it's the problem of the extremes dominating. I think that we live through a moment that can be best described as the the uh, closed-minded majority imposing uh, minority imposing its 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 loud thoughts on a, an exhausted majority. And so the objective for us is it's fundamentally a marketing challenge. I think it's how do you get people to invest? How do you get those people that have a moderate temperament, not a moderate ideology, a moderate temperament, to be louder? Mm-hmm. Um, you show up on campuses, most students are checked out. The reason why they're checked out is not because they don't necessarily care. It's just these loud people have the microphone. Mm. Yeah. That's it. You know, it's it's really not that complicated to me. Our growth over the last couple of years, we're not 50 college chapters, 20 high school chapters. We engaged 3,000 students last semester. The goal this semester is to hit 5,000. I'm sure you've seen this at the Bush Institute, working abroad in foreign countries and nations. Oftentimes, the people at the bottom want the stuff to succeed. It's a couple of those, uh, I know this is a family podcast, so a couple of those crazy people at the top that are ruining things for everybody. <laughs> What would he have said, I wonder, if we weren't a family? <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering that, too. Like, we, we can always, we can insert a bleep later. Oh, yeah. We can do that in post. Well, speaking of getting a little edgy, uh-huh. you guys, and by you guys, yeah. I mean Bridge USA, kind of got a little edgy, not loud, but edgy to get people's attention. I, I loved this marketing campaign, and I'd, I'd like you to talk about yeah. it, if you don't mind. It rhymes with ducking, but it's less, let's effing talk to each other. What, what was that campaign? What did it mean? Man, I'm so happy you brought that up because uh, every time it gets brought up on a family podcast like this, it puts me into hot, put me into hot water. Um, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. The reason why we launched that campaign was the same reason why we launched Bridge. It was it spoke to a genuine and deep feeling that my friends and I were experiencing. I remember it was, I think it was October of 21. Uh, my friend Ross, who helps lead Bridge, he's the COO of Bridge. He was We were sitting around and he was like, you know, like we just got to be able to, effing talk to each other. I was like, that's our marketing campaign. (laughs) And and the point is, again, the challenges we face, we have to remember the majority of people are on our side. I call it the hopeful majority, trying to rebrand it away from what it used to be, the silent majority. It's really the hopeful majority. It's it's people that are are clinging, scrapping. They want it. They just don't have alternatives to the crazy people. And and I want to be very clear about when I say crazy people. I mean crazy people across the political spectrum. There's also some moderates that are crazy. This is not a left-right fight. We just held our uh, our summit, Chris, in Orlando, February, last month. We had students from 
Texas, from Louisiana, hardcore conservatives. We had liberals from New York, California, Florida. We had people that just didn't really care from, you know, tech campuses. These people are scattered across the ideological spectrum, but they all shared a certain mindset, a mindset that favored open-mindedness, listening, dialogue. I think there's a battle of mindsets, a battle of temperament. So when I say crazy people, I very specifically, anybody that doesn't embody the bridge temperament, um, you can believe anything you're interested in believing as long as you're open to criticism, open to being intellectually humble, open to listening. I'll just, I, I mean, I think you said this earlier, but I want to highlight it now. I think, I think you can't have a productive dialogue if you don't recognize the inherent dignity and value of the human person that you're debating with. It's hard to get past that because you can disagree, but if you think they're less than, if you dehumanize them, if worse, you demonize them, how can you possibly have a conversation that gets you anywhere? And I think, I think that's what we have to tackle in our societies today. And I, I think you've given us some ways to do that. Um, I, have no, I have no question there. I'm just, just a comment in terms of something that, that keeps me up at night. Could I say one thing to that? Which yeah, is, of course. I think part of the reason why these conversations and disagreements, to your point, are, are difficult is because when we think about disagreement or having a dialogue with somebody we disagree with, we, the, we immediately think about a discussion on abortion. We immediately think about a discussion on gun control. When you ask somebody on the left, like, what do you think about when you think of conservatives? It's like Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump. When you ask a conservative, what do you think about liberals? It's like Bernie Sanders and AOC. It's like there are more issues in society to talk about. There are more, th- there's nuance in the world. I think it's just like, when you think about disagreement, you think about the craziest people having that disagreement. And as a result, you zone in on that. Um, walk down the street, talk to somebody you walk past all the time. Just ask them like, how's your day going? You'll probably find something to disagree about, but it's, it's going to be something that's based on similar values. So let me play devil's advocate for a second. Yeah, please. So, you know, we, we're, we've said, that, okay, this, this person is crazy in their ideology. They're, they're too aggressive with it. What, where is the line between passion and being crazy and, and saying and holding the, a very firm, loud, firm belief that's, that, you're, that you really want people, that you want to convert people to? Yeah. And Andrew, I would just, I would just um, correct one thing, not crazy ideologically, crazy temperamentally. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I think that's different is because we're, we're not concerned about what you believe. We, we're more concerned about how you believe things. Right. Um, so given that assumption, uh, the line, we actually use four discussion norms in any of our discussions. The four norms are listen to listen instead, to, instead of responding. So you listen first. People don't represent uh, larger groups. They only represent themselves. Uh, let the person finish the argument and try to understand where somebody's coming from. Four things that sound very simple, very hard to do. The line between passion and in my opinion, crazy, is that you're not following those norms. And importantly, passion and those norms are not mutually exclusive. I think one of the reasons why a lot of this work feels like broccoli, right? It feels kumbaya, (laughs) is because what people assume is that you have to abandon your passion Mm -hmm. to be somebody that wants to build bridges. That's just not true. I mean, our founders had the bridge temperament and were incredibly passionate. They literally launched a revolution. So... The line between crazy and passion is one that I think is necessarily not that relevant because passion can coexist with these norms. So, I, I, and you, you bring up, I mean, you bring up the big ones, abortion, gun rights. How do, you, how do you talk to your chapters at Bridge USA about, you know, even if someone holds a different opinion than you on, on controversial hot button items like those two, 
it, it doesn't mean that you can't be friends or con- converse in other areas. Like, how do, you, how do you convince folks or how do you persuade folks that just because you disagree on some big issues doesn't mean you can find other common ground elsewhere? Like, why, how, do you, how, do you, how, do you, how do you discourage a zero-sum game when it comes to having conversations and who we choose to spend our time with? We don't try to convince. We try to show. All of our effort is focused on getting somebody in the room. I am confident that once you're in the room, your imagination about what's possible changes. It happens all the time. Uh, We're giving up on the question of trying to convince people through a loud microphone. We want them to actually participate. So the question to me becomes, and again, this is not trying to dodge the question, Chris, but we've just found that, again, everybody's conception of dialogue are the two crazy people on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC debating each other. Like, that's not normal people. You know, it's just not. I, I work yeah. with them all the time. It's they, they, they're in a different mindset. They got to say, say something in three minutes, and that's it. They got to execute. Um, they're they're in a tactical mindset. Uh, so we have to disband people of that notion. The only way they do that is by showing up. So the question becomes: How do you get people to show up? Community, mental health is about building relationships. It's about not feeling alienated. It's about bettering yourself. Like the fun. I, I our directive to our marketing team right now is. How do we sell bridge building without selling bridge building? That's that's our question. Um, so that's why I started the podcast with my story. You know, thinking about uh, not pluralism, but just what makes society work, what makes people feel happy. You know, just point to the fact that you look at mental health crises going up. You see opiate death. You see school shootings. You see crises. There's something wrong, and people are feeling it. So let's talk about those things as ways to get people in. Once people show up, um, usually it works out. Now, of course, some cases there won't be. We failed a lot. We've had many blow-ups, but I'll just say that we learn a lot from those blow-ups, and it would be very non-bridge of us <laughs> to be close-minded about our blow-ups. <laughs> you know, the, the story I love is is one that, and there's not really a question here, but I'd love for you to reflect on it, is, is um, Bono was here a few years ago, and he and President Bush have a, have a friendship. I can guarantee you, Bono and President Bush do not agree on many, many items in the political world, but they very strongly agreed that um, the United States has a cap- has a capacity to help, that the people of Africa needed, um, they needed the antiretrovirals to cure, that can treat AIDS, and that working together, they were able to, they were able to save a lot of lives and working with Congress, working across, across lines in Congress. And I think it's the, it's the lesson of, you don't have to, we don't have to agree on, dif- on different things. You and I might totally disagree on gun control and that's okay. We, we might not be able to solve that one working together. Someone else can solve those. What can we together solve that we do agree on and we can combine our powers to get something done? I, and I think to me, that's a powerful message. Is that something you come across in your travels? I mean, I think about it right now. I, I'll be honest. I, I'm very critical of of President Bush's decision to innovate Iraq, and yet I'm allied on this question because I think there's a battle of temperament. I think for us to be able to have those disagreements, it matters. You know, uh, on a, in in countless travels. I mean, you look at President Bush and President Obama's relationship. The reason why I think, at least, and again, I'm just some random dude that's observing it from far away. Like it seems like they're getting closer because there's a bigger fight to fight, right? Um, and so I think, again, it's about reinforcing. The only other thing I'd say to that, Andrew, is, again, how do we push back on this notion that not every discussion has to be about gun control? Right. Right? Like, right. I, find me somebody that spends 100% of their time during the day thinking about guns. Like, maybe it's the advocate and somebody that hates guns. But beyond that, like, you'll, there's a lot of other things going on in the world. You know, there's food crises. There's opiate issues. There's uh, concerns about schooling. There's concerns about education, criminal justice, you know. Uh, 
why do we live in this world in which all of our issues have been boiled down to three or four things? It's true. Um, so we got we got to start pushing back on those things, challenge those assumptions. So you're saying I shouldn't walk up to someone, grab them by the collar, and say, "Tell me what you think yeah, about gun I, control." Actually, I'm curious how that works. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend it. No, especially in Texas. Is that a problem? That would be a good podcast skit. You know, yeah, it's, it, that would be a good intermission. You know, yeah. Chris's adventure. Chris, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna go to our spon- sponsored over here. Right. Chris's trip down. Yeah, that's the last they ever saw Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, but it is. You know, it, it's a hot button issue for a lot of people, and and there's there's echo chambers out there where I think I think that's one of the challenges is that a lot of people tend to hang out with the people that agree with them online. And that is one of the things that's new about the online world is that it used to be you would, you would come across the people who you were around geographically. And geographically, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of different people in any given geography. But online, if, you're, if the algorithm is giving you things that you tend to like on and you tend to always like topic X that you feel strongly about, you're suddenly going to get a lot of content that agrees with you. And you see, you get this self-reinforcement. How do we get away from that, that cycle and that that self, that reinforcement of, oh, I must be right because that's everybody's agreeing with me that I see, even though you're only getting a fraction of the story. Do we want the society to succeed or not? I mean, we've got the social media. I, I sit on a council, uh, uh, issue one, um, amazing nonpartisan organization down in DC. They have this council for responsible social media. Um, we just came from literally a briefing from uh, TikTok officials about national security concerns. Uh, we talk about this all the time, uh, but the fundamental side of the equation that I'm focused on when it comes to social media, the fact that we're forced to confront, the fact that we naturally choose echo chambers, which is a very normal thing to do. That's just a survival mm-hmm. instinct, if you mm-hmm. think about it biologically, um, uh, is that we have to start educating people. We have to get them to be media literate. We have to recognize that, again, we live in this world, and if we want our experiment to continue, we're just being forced to confront difference. It's, again, AP pluralism. It's a, it's a new problem set. And so... I'm sure when, you know, the United States was, was created and you had the advent of the railroad and suddenly somebody from New York could travel down to Philadelphia, that, was, that must have been a huge culture shock. Um, you push the frontier in the 1800s, go out to California, Oregon, you mine that place, you meet somebody that's totally different from you, you got to figure it out. Um, so the question is, how bad do we want it? And, and I would say that I want it pretty badly. And I think most people want it pretty badly. I think it's just about, again, realizing that we're the power, we're the main characters in the story. You, you can do something. You can educate and activate yourself in individual silos that helps you break those echo chambers as possible. I, I agree with you. I, uh, I can't wait till we all get there. Keep waiting. <laughs> we'll get better. I'm saying we'll get better. But it's, as you said, it's hard work. And I, I don't think, I think when we talk about these issues, it's really easy to say, yeah, this, this is the right thing to do. This is really easy in practice. But it's not easy in practice, it's very right? hard. Yeah, so I, I, I'm wondering, actually, somewhat related to what, what Andrew was asking about the echo chamber and, and your answer, when you're putting together these Bridge USA chapters, and I know they're across the country, do you ever get skepticism when the, when the students come in and you have your hardcore right-winger and your hardcore left-winger and say, why are we here together? I mean, do, do you encounter that? And, and how do you respond? All the time. And I think that's the secret sauce to Bridge USA organizations like Braver Angels uh, starts with us. There's so many organizations doing bridging work. I mean, the the practices around moderation, we're trying to equip our students to be able to handle those situations. Um, one of the things that we often find is that 
we we never actually tell people uh, or make people announce where they stand on the political spectrum. Uh, because oftentimes what we found is that when you talk about local issues, so like when the hard right-winger shows up and when the hard left-winger shows up, and you're talking about student homelessness in Zone B of UC Berkeley, nobody has any idea what AOC or Donald Trump think about that issue. Right. And local government is what affects you the most. It does. It does. I, I remember one of our most effective uh, debates and discussions that we held was partner with an, with an amazing organization called Braver Angels. It was on student homelessness. Uh, in 2019, we invited the the homeless people that didn't want the buildings to be built. We invited the university president, staff, students that wanted those buildings to be built. And it was fascinating. And again, people showed up skeptically. If you remember that Milo story I told in the beginning, Chris, that student showed up skept- as a skeptic and turned into somebody that was interested in the bridge mindset because it provided value to them. What's next for you? This is this is a, this is a cool story, and and you're you're still you're you're really just getting your story is just getting started. So what's next? Well, immediately we got to go do a board meeting for UVA's Carson's to Democracy. Very excited to do that. Um, honestly, I don't have the answer to that question, and and the reason I don't have the answer to that question is because right now my fundamental objective is to understand what it means to be an American for Americans. Like, I literally will do road trips, I'll drive around the country, I'll meet lots of students. My job is to empower those students. My job is to understand what, at which parts of the American story resonate to who. I think right now, given that, as you said, Andrew, everybody lives in echo chambers and silos, I think most of us don't have a shared identity. Um, and so if I'm going to try to advocate for some of those things, I've got to actually learn and understand um, and so it's just about practicing the bridge process over the next couple of years. I'm sure my mom wants to know a more concrete answer to that question. Uh, <laughs> they but always I don't do. Have one. They always, they always do. do. I, I don't um, also, though, tell us about your podcast. You know, where if you're listening to this, you're, you must listen to podcasts. So, what, what, what's yours, and why should uh, why should folks listen? We're actually launching it. Oh, it hasn't launched yet. Actually, listeners can tell me right now. We're choosing between two names: On America and the Hopeful Majority. I'm terrible at naming names, so we're going to try to figure it out. But the reason why people should listen is I think the same reason why people listen to this one. It's that we're trying to inject nuance into the world. We're trying to articulate an understanding that provides more hope, less less pessimism. And finally, I think it's just about being honest about the fact that we're at a fascinating point in human history. What we're trying to do in the United States is awesome. Um, if you told me there's a society out there, Andrew, 330 million people that all look differently than each other, that are armed to the teeth, and, <laughs> and, 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 and you told me, oh, it's going swell. It's going great. And I'm like, really? Of course there's going to be challenge. And I'm somebody that speaks from a little bit of privilege, so I understand that I don't deal with those challenges personally, but I can still understand those concerns. So that's why you should listen to this podcast, what we're going to do out there, why Bridge USA exists. It's fundamentally an investment in the strength of the human spirit, because that wins out, and so that's what we're doing. I like I, I like the hopeful. Majority. I, like the, I was about to say I like the hopeful majority. Don't don't use that. I want to steal it. Yeah, I'm yeah. Do you actually like the hopeful majority? That. I seriously no, I do. do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I like that yeah. a lot. The hopeful majority. That because I think it, it's it speaks something very true. No. And you know, I think I'm peeling the curtain back a little bit. I manage our our social media platforms, and the most. Whenever we'll post something, there's always some vocal people that are that are, are very vocal in sure. trying to tie it. You know, it's an it's an article about education. They'll try to tie it to whatever else. Um, there's, you know, there'll be some very vocal people in the comments, but there'll be, you know, hundreds of people who clicked on the link and read the article and didn't comment, didn't comment because the the comments aren't productive and they they consumed it. The we can see from read times that the people are reading it and they they must find value in it 
but they don't say anything. And that is, that is the hopeful majority, not the 10 people that are arguing in the comments. Um, and so I, I think there's, I, th- I think from where I sit, um, there is an audience that is, I believe you're right that there is a hopeful majority. And I think you might speak to them with that name. My personal opinion. No, I, I, I appreciate that. I know we're super low on time. Could I tell one quick story please, on please. this hopeful majority? I'll just, it'll be like two minutes. It actually no, goes exactly to your point of the comment section. And this is why I think, again, the problem that we're working on is not that hard to solve, in my opinion. Um, I remember we were sitting in a classroom. This is after the Milo protest. We had 15 students in this classroom. And the professor starts talking about the protest and everything. And this one student gets up and starts yelling at the professor saying, you know, like, I don't like this. The classic, you know, free speech issues we are in college camps. The second kid stands up and starts yelling at the student. They both start yelling at each other. 13 of us are left in this room, right? And we're all quiet. Right. Like the people that read the article but don't actually comment. Afterwards, uh, all of us were like, well, one of them must believe each other. Everybody must be on somebody's side. Everybody must be crazy. And in fact, it turns out that all 13 of us, if one of us had said something, we would have felt the social permission to be like, actually, we're all on the same page. We need to read. We need to critically analyze what the professor's saying, but this is not all right. So again, all it takes is, that's why I think it's a question of why. It's, it's how do you incentivize this engagement? It is a social permission question. You can come up with the best way to moderate a dialogue, but if people are nervous, mm-hmm. um, then you're going to cede the battle space to the loudest people. Yep. Manu, thank you so much for spending this time with us. This has been really interesting and, and excited that there's people like you that are leading the charge in this movement that I think is very important. And, and you know, I feel like an old person by saying, man, I feel, I feel, like, I feel hope for the, for the next generation. So really He's glad. our Alexander the Great. He really, exactly. We, bring, we brought it back around. I, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Andrew. I only get to do this stuff because folks like you pick me out. Um, and I stand on some tall shoulders, and there's a whole movement of young people doing this work, and I'm just one small piece. So thanks for having me. You bet. And you can learn more about Bridge at www.bridgeusa.org. Easy enough. Yeah. Thanks, Manny. Awesome. Thanks. Learn more about the Bush Institute's work on pluralism at bushcenter.org slash pluralism. Learn more about Bridge USA at bridgeusa.org and listen to Manu's podcast, The Hopeful Majority, at thehopefulmajority.com. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Let us know what you think on social media at the Bush Center, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening.